It is another Monday night, and what a terrible week it has been for not only the Cleveland Indians, but the Cincinnati Reds. After a week ago, it looked like both of these teams maybe have turned the corner a little bit, but then last week came and everything took a turn for the worse. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we have got the night off here this evening with the Reds and the Indians, both ironically having the evening off. That's rather unusual for both of them to have the same day off, but nonetheless they do. And we're going to talk about a lot of things coming up here this evening, including the Indians' bullpen and just whether or not Major League Baseball players are smarter than they have been in the past. We're going to bring all that up on tonight's show, but in order to do that, we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Well, I'm pretty good. Um, it could have been a better week uh, for, for both teams. Uh, I think you have to look at these things over the long course of a season as kind of a blending of weeks as they uh, bleed into each other. <clears throat> so the Reds still have a winning record of the last couple of weeks, and when you start off as poorly as the Reds did, that's about the only way you can look at it. You're looking for improvement. Frankly, I, I'm, I'm more concerned, because I know you're ready to jump off a bridge, uh, that, that Cleveland is not pulling away in that division. And uh, I wonder, I don't hear and read the, the, the Cleveland Indian press like you do, but what's, what's the attitude in Cleveland about what the Indians are doing right now? Oh, absolutely nothing because the Browns aren't in season yet, so nobody cares about anything. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the, that's the truth. I mean, you know, Le, LeBron, the only thing that they're worried about in Cleveland right now is whether or not LeBron is leaving. That That's it, period, end of story. Then once July hits and the Browns go to training camp, it'll be the Browns, and then that'll be it. The Indians are an afterthought, but I agree with you, Mark. You know, Mark, I, wa- I want to go back a, a few years. A, a lot of our listeners are not going to be able to go back as far as what I'm going to do now. But in 1975, with the Cincinnati Reds, there was a point in mid-May, right about where we're at right now, where they decided that that team was not going to do what they expected it to do, and they had to do something to shake things up. They weren't hitting the baseball. They weren't pitching it very well. If I recall right, they were even playing with lackluster effort. And the one move that they made, there were actually two, but one move that they made was move Pete Rose from left field to third base, sit Dennis Menke down, and move George Foster to left field full-time, and that turned around the entire season. Do you remember that? I remember it very well, and you have to provide some history on that as well, because from 1970 through 1975, those six years inclusive, the Reds were supposed to win a World Series. <laughs> I mean, they were they were a great team, and they hadn't won the World Series. They had lost a seven-game series to Oakland in 1972, and all one-run games, by the way, could have gone either way, but they hadn't put it together. And everybody knew that Sparky, unless he won that year, it was over. And I think the Reds started off 22 up and 22 down. They were they were at 500 sometime in, near the end of May. The change you bring up was made, and immediately that team took off to the moon. 
And at one point, not far from, from that, that moment, they won uh, 41 out of 50 games. <laughs> that is an 820 winning percentage. They had a 10-game winning streak. They had a 9-game winning streak. They were really, at that point in time, I think, at their peak, uh, just blowing everybody away. The games weren't even close. But you're right. That one move of bringing George Foster into that lineup, moving Pete to third, that lengthened the lineup. And now Johnny Bench and Tony Perez and Ken Griffey, they had protection at number four with George Foster. And you bring up a tremendous point. I love Adam Duvall. I just like the guy. Adam Duvall is hitting 190. He strikes out at least once a game, sometimes twice a game. I would, without looking at the stats, I will wager anything you want. He has left more men on base this year and last year, and maybe even the year before, than any Reds player. They've, they're, they're outfield. You talk about the Indians bullpen, bullpen. Look at the Reds outfield. It's, it's atrocious, and you cannot win unless you have corner outfielders who can hit, and the Reds don't have that. But you bring up a great point about that one move of Foster and Rose getting in the lineup together. Well, and the reason I bring it up is the fact that, and I brought it up in conjunction with the Indians, that the Indians right now appear to me to be going through the motions. I, I thought it was very interesting last night that the, the ESPN crew, and I'll tell you one thing about the ESPN Sunday night crew. The play-by-play announcer, I'm not sure who he is, but he's pathetic. But Jessica Mendoza, and I'm even going to say this about A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez. They are very informational and interesting to listen to. I've, I've got to give them credit. I don't give a lot of credit to a lot of ESPN announcers, but and I didn't like A-Rod as a, as a ball player, but as an announcer, I really don't have that much of a problem with him. And, and one of the things that they made a comment about last night was that the Indians' top three in the batting order, Lindor, Brantley at number two, and Ramirez at number three, are the only three hitters in the American League right now. Top three hitters, one, two, three, that are batting over 300. Combined, they're hitting 312 with over 20 homers and about 50 RBIs. The problem is, from four through nine, they're hitting 187, and that includes Encarnacion. What this team's got to do, Mark, is they've got to do something to shake it up. And in my opinion, Mark, and I hate to do this, but in my opinion, I think it's got to be Jason Kipnis. I think Kipnis has run his course as a member of the Cleveland Indians. I think they've got uh, people down in the minor leagues that can come up. First of all, Ramirez playing at third base. He's playing an excellent third base, but he's an even better second baseman. And I think it would solidify their outfield by putting him at second and bringing up Yandy Diaz to play third base or even putting uh, the kid that they kept, um, uh, and, and, and now his name escapes me, but the kid that they kept in place of Giovanni Urshela and, and go ahead and play him full-time at third base if they want to or keep him at second base and Ramirez at third. They've got to do something, Mark, to shake this up. And that bullpen... Today, I understand they decided that they're going to put Josh Tomlin in the bullpen. Well, that that is long expected, probably long overdue. I've been one of Tomlin's uh, biggest boosters because I always liked him from the time that they got him from the St. Louis Cardinals. That being said, 
he has not pitched very well this year. He really has not. So they've done what they needed to do. They've put him in the bullpen. A guy that I'm completely disgusted with, and you and I talked about this this morning, is Zach McAllister. He's been with this ball club now for seven years. I went back and checked. They've wanted him to develop a second pitch. He's got a great fastball. He throws a fastball 97, 98, 99 miles per hour. But it's a straight fastball, and he doesn't have a a secondary pitch that can get anybody out. So, obviously, if you're throwing something straight at 99 miles an hour, Major League League players are going to hit the doggone thing, and they have hit it hard against McAllister. He's another guy that I think they have got to get rid of, but... Mark, there there are two positions right there, second base and the bullpen, that the Indians are in dire need of some absolute help right now. Okay, okay, you've been begging <laughs> enough. Uh, I got a trade for you. Uh, you can have Scooter Jeanette, huh? Scooter Jeanette hitting three twenty seven. Uh, he had four home runs in one game last year. He's the best hitter in the Reds team right now, including Joey Botto. And I got you Iglesias. There's the, there's the pennant, and not not hyperbole, possibly the World Series, right there. And what do you want? Uh, how much do you like that stadium? <laughs> you want the stadium? I, I want just about everything you've got, because I can deliver a World Series to you. So uh, I'm I'm the new Revs general manager. Uh, and I call you up and I say, hey, Scooter Jeanette, he, he, we got him off the rock pile last year. Uh, he had 27 home runs. He's going to probably hit 30 home runs this year. He's playing a great second base. He's a good guy, good clubhouse guy. I got Iglesias, unhittable slider. Uh, he's what you need. You can put him at eight, eighth inning, ninth inning, seventh inning. He can go two innings. Good clubhouse guy again. Their contracts are cheap. Tell me what you'll give me. I would give you just about anything. I mean, well, be specific. I, and, and I'm be serious. specific because I, I'm what I want back. I don't care about guys playing this year, but I want if I talk to you or I talk to the Yankees, I talk to the Red Sox. You know, another probably use these guys is the Dodgers. The Dodgers need a second baseman, and Jeanette uh, he lit him up in L.A. last week, and Iglesias can help any bullpen. Uh, those t- those com- contending teams are going to offer me a lot because <clears throat> I think those two players could take over the top teams like the Cubs, like the Yankees, like the Red Sox, like the Indians, uh, the Dodgers. They can get back into it. Uh, so you 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 got to give me a lot. Well, I'm not going to touch my starting pitching. I mean, I've got, I've got no problems with start, with, uh, touching my starting pitching when it comes to the minor leagues. I mean, we've got, we've got a, a great left-hander down in the minor leagues right now in Brady Aiken. And they brought him up last night on the uh, broadcast and talking about him. He's the guy that Houston actually drafted number one about six years ago, but they couldn't come to contract terms with him. And the Indians, the very next year, drafted him in the second round, gave him what he wanted, and he signed on with the Indians. Now, he's a left-handed starting pitcher that is coming up through the ranks. Right now, he's at double-A. But I I, I was interested in giving up Ryan Merritt 
and then he blew no, out his. He got hurt. He, yeah, he, he got hurt. He got hurt. Um, so I would I would be willing to put put uh, Brady Aiken in any kind of deal. I'm I'm very very hesitant. See the problem, Mark, and you and I discussed this earlier, is that what the Reds need the Indians don't have. Well, maybe there could be a three-way trade. Yeah, that you know that would be that would be the way to do it. I mean, I agree with you. I, I think getting Scooter Jeanette and getting uh, Iglesias would be outstanding for the Indians. Now, I don't know how in the world they're going to pull something like that off. Now, if I was, and and you know how much I love I love Tyler Naquin. I, I love Tyler Naquin. If I was convinced that he was as good as what he has shown when he plays full-time, and I'm pretty close to being convinced, by the way, I would be glad to give up Bradley Zimmer. And I think that is the type of guy that the Reds need, is a center fielder that's got a lot of speed, great defensively, but he's a hell of a lot better hitter than Billy Hamilton will ever dream of being. Um, And defensively, I don't think you're losing a step between the two. I would be willing to give him up as long as I'm convinced Tyler Naquin is going to be the answer for me in center field. Um, well, there has to be uh, some pain when you make a deal like this. I mean, you're not going to oh. get off taking those two guys from the Reds and, and theoretically delivering a playoff spot almost guaranteed, and then who knows what happens in the playoffs. But these are game-changing guys. These are season-changing guys. And it's going to hurt the Reds to give those two guys up. But if the Reds have blown off this season already uh, and they're looking toward the next two years, you got to think beyond what you have right now and what, you're, what you could get uh, in 2019 and 2020. Oh, I agree with you. And I have absolutely no doubt that those two guys could bring the American League pennant to the Indians. I'm not, you know, you and I have discussed. I, I'm not concerned about Boston. I'm not concerned about the Yankees. The team that I'm concerned about is the team that just beat us two out of three down in Texas, and that's the Houston Astros. That team is loaded. They are yep. loaded. That pitching staff, Mark, has got an ERA of 2.57. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. it's I saw what they did over the weekend, and uh, that that's uh, as solid a team I've seen in Major League Baseball for for several years. I mean, they are they don't have a weakness. You said they got power, they got speed, they got a bullpen, great defense, they, great starting pitching, outstanding starting pitching. Uh, so you're right. You know who uh, they remind me of? What the early '70s Oakland A's? Uh, yeah, I can see that comparison. Yeah, speed. You just mentioned it: speed, power, defense, pitching. Man, they've got it all, and a, yep. and a great manager. What? What? Yeah, the other thing, the other thing they are is young. Yeah, <laughs> they are really young. I mean, this team could be around for a while if Houston can afford to sign these guys. Yeah, yeah, and and you know the thing about it is let's let's talk about the difference between Houston and the Cubs because we were talking the same way about the Cubs three years ago, but look what's happened to the Cubs and how they've they've basically been decimated. Not only in their pitching staff, but in the batting order too, because they keep getting injured. And Houston, on the other hand, man, they've won a World Series title. They've gone out. They've done what they had to do. Mark, they added Justin Verlander to that team 
for another year after this one. That's something that Theo Epstein and Joe Madden could have only dreamed of doing with the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, yesterday, I think maybe Saturday, uh, during the doubleheader, the Cubs had three guys on the bench that were all-stars last year that weren't playing. <laughs> yeah. The Reds didn't have three all-stars last year. So that, that tells you how, how far away the Reds are from being a team that can compete with the Indians and the Cubs and the Dodgers. And even though they beat the Dodgers four in a row last, last week, uh, that's not going to happen again. The Dodgers are, are not healthy, but when they are healthy, uh, they, along with the Yankees and the Red Sox in Houston, there's just a huge gap between those teams and the Cincinnati Reds. And we were talking earlier, if, if the Reds were one or two players away, that's one thing, but they're, they're not. And they're, David, going over their, um, their records, if you're going to rebuild your team, if you're going to trade away stars, if you're going to do what the Reds did over the last three or four years, you've got to make it happen with young players you get back and players that you get in the draft. And you and I have been talking over the last five years. In your opinion, looking back over the last three, four, five years that we've been on the air, um, what what players are we talking about more often than not? What were we talking about during those years? Oh, well, Robert Stevenson, Francisco Mejia, if you're talking about individual players, or if you're talking about positions, mainly pitching. Okay, well, we were talking about Cody Reed, who uh, yeah. has been a blowout. A buzz. Robert Stevenson has been a blowout. Mm-hmm. These are guys that came over as, as if not number one draft choices, then certainly of that quality. And even Tyler Maley, I like Tyler Maley. I think he can be a good pitcher. Do I think he's going to be a great pitcher? I'm not so sure. He's three and six. He's got a 4.53 ERA. Uh, Cody Reed had a 5.40 ERA. Even Castillo, he's the guy who was going to be our deliverer this year. He's three and four with a 5.61 ERA. Romano, two and five, 5.62. And then you've got Homer Bailey. He was our our dream child going back seven or eight years. He's one in six with a 6.11 ERA. But beyond that, you have Jesse Winker, 244 batting average, nine doubles, no home runs, no home runs this year, and 11 RBIs. Billy Hamilton, our starting center fielder, 203, four doubles, two home runs, 13 RBIs. Phil Irvin, guy we talked about, hey, this guy could be a great uh, fourth or fifth outfielder. Hit 211 this year with one double, no home runs. It goes on and on, and, and what scares me is over the last two years, the Reds drafted Senzel, uh, who I think by – I've seen him play. Uh, I can't say – I haven't seen him enough. I've saw, I saw him play maybe four or five games. He doesn't look like a game changer. You know how some guys come to the play, you go, oh, yep. God, this guy. This guy. Like, like the players for Atlanta. That's mm-hmm. not Senzel, in my opinion. He's sitting 271 in AAA, and he's been hurt. He's been in the DL twice in two years. So there, there are so many guys down there that have not produced, and unlike the Indians, who starting back in, say, 2012, 2013, the names we talked about coming up, they have produced. 
and that's the difference in the two organizations. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that. I mean, you you've gotten to a point where, and, and it all stems back to the same guy, Walt Jockety. It you know, I, I'm going to tell you right now, um, Marge Shot took a beating as man as owner of the Reds when she made the comment about the scouting department with the Reds that all they do is sit around and watch baseball games all day. But she she took a beating for saying that, but yet Walt Jockety, for some reason in this town, gets a pass on what he has done to this franchise and what his his scouting department, not anybody else's, that was his scouting department, did to decimate not only the minor leagues, but the trades that the Reds performed? Well, the trades have been bad, but uh, I think what has been worse are their draft choices. Uh, They have simply not picked great players when they had a chance to pick great players. Now, that that typically is an organizational decision. You don't have one person um, making that decision, but you're right. There is one person who put together the team of scouts who make that decision. So you can't blame one guy and say, we picked Homer Bailey and we should have picked somebody else. The entire organization made that decision, but who crafted the organization? It is Walt Jockey. And you look back at a couple deals, the, the Homer Bailey deal, Homer Bailey, I think his, his career record is something like 56 and 55, since he got in the big leagues, he's only won 50-some games all these years. They paid him, what, $100, $100 million? Yeah. That, now, that is a decision that the GM makes because he's got he's to take it to the owner who signs the check. But, I gotta, but I've got to go back to what they got for Johnny Cueto, what they got for Araldus Chapman, and it was Jockety's scouting department that scouted the guys that they got back for just those two ballplayers, and I'm only bringing up those those two trades that Jockety took to Castellini and said, hey, let's make this deal. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's When you have a failure of, of this proportion, uh, and, and this is monumental in the history of this of this team, I don't remember a team being this bad that in my lifetime, this bad this long, with with absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel. I, I, I'm optimistic. I always look forward to opening day, although I didn't look forward to it much this year because I told you what I thought was going to happen in April. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were, were going to win four or five games in April, and they did. That's, what the, that's all they won. I, it doesn't take a genius to look at this, this roster – and you can, it's hard to look at, at one team and evaluate talent, but you can compare that team to other teams and look, who would you take over, uh, you know, your starting rotation against another team's starting rotation. The Reds don't have one pitcher on this, te- on this team that could make the Indians pitching staff except Iglesias. Not one. Not one. No, I, and and I would agree with you on that. There, there is not even in the bullpen, Mark. Is there somebody that the Reds have that could make the Indians' pitching staff right now? No, no, I agree with you, and, and that's that just is indicative of how far away this team is from competing. And there's a there's a couple things that can happen. Number one, Bob Castellini can sell the team. 
surprised I haven't heard more of that suggestion lately. He's been here almost 20 years, and the Reds haven't won. They've not won a World Series under his realm. Uh, they've been to the playoffs three times, uh, got beaten the first round in one playoff, and it was a wild card another time. In 2012, they should have won it, won that playoff, and they didn't. And the team has completely unraveled since then. But option one is he sells the team, walks away with a billion dollars, and says, gee, that was fun, and bring in somebody who understands baseball, uh, who can run an owner who understands the game. And that's what the Reds need. Secondly, he can open the checkbook and say, okay, we tried this going young crap. Let's go to the free agent market next year, bring in three starting pitchers who can win 10, 12, 15 games apiece, and compete. Spend some money. And not spend it on a shortstop, an 18-year-old shortstop playing in in Cuba, Mm -hmm. who may be great in 10 years, but he's not going to be great in the next two or three years. So I, I don't know what other option you have. Well, the third option is you keep going like this and you completely lose a fan base. And I was down there last week. Dave, they, they announced the attendance at 19,000 on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> you, there weren't 19,000 people in downtown Cincinnati that day, much less in the stadium. I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who owned the team during the Big Red Machine years? Uh, well, Bob Hauser was his GM, but it, it was the Williams brothers, I believe. Okay. Who owned it after the Williams brothers? Um, I think Marge. No, uh, Linder. Linder? No, that, no, Linder owned it. Let me see. Linder owned it after Marge. So it, I, I guess Marge. It was, it okay. Was Marge. Okay. So the Williams brothers and Marge have each won World Series championships. Meanwhile, Linder and Castellini have not. Correct. What does that tell you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right there. I mean, you're you're looking at a situation, Mark, where you've got guys that are buying the team that, you know, and, and I'm not quite sure, you know, I thought Castellini was going to be a good owner, but when he brought in Walt, Walt Jockety, St. Louis's cast off. I had to wonder about that. I have never been, you know, they couldn't wait to get rid of Jockety in St. Louis. I don't know how many times I've said that on this show. They couldn't wait to get rid of that guy. And look what they've done since. They've stabilized their organization and become a contender year after year after year. Well, let me stipulate here that Bob Castellini, number one, from all indications, I've never met the man. I hear he's a great guy. He's, he's obviously a sensational businessman. You don't get to where he is without being a good a businessman. But you, you wonder his delegation authority. Uh, I don't know what Phil, what role Phil Castellini plays in it, but if he's the head of baseball operations or was at one time, uh, what's what's his pedigree in baseball? Uh, the the, the he, he was Jockety was so 1960s in his approach to running a team when these other guys, like ownership and general managers, the Cubs, the Red Sox, and others, they were cutting edge with technology and uh, the, the, their, their, their trades were on point. The, the way they looked at, at the numbers, uh, numbers behind the numbers, these guys 
are smart. A lot of these guys are Ivy League graduates. They understand the game, but they know the the intricacies, unlike it appears that the Reds management or, or the guys running the baseball operations do. Now, you have to give the new guy uh, a chance, at Williams, uh, to see what he can do. But he right now, I, I can't. they've made some decent trades. They got Suarez uh, a few years ago, which was a very good trade. Uh, for uh, Alfredo Simon, that was a great trade to Detroit. Uh, but the, the, the trades they got, where they got Peraza and they got Shebler from the Dodgers, Peraza I think can be okay. I think he's, he's miscast as a shortstop. He had to be playing second base. Shebler is going to be a 230, 240, 250 hitter. He's not that good on defense. He's going to hit you 25 home runs. Uh, he is Adam, a, he's a typical Dodger player. If you look at the Dodgers right now, that's what they are. The Dodgers, yeah, 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 but Dave, you have to look at, at a at a team. You need superstars, and the right. Reds have one in Joey Votto. They have one. Can you imagine what Votto would do if he had a legitimate three twenty batting average? A 40 home run guy hitting behind him, Votto would hit a million. I mean, <laughs> because he he would get more pitches, and he's doing this on his own, and there's just nobody to protect that guy. And the lineup, you see the pitching staff, they start gearing for Votto in the fifth inning. You know, the, you know, the, the rotations, a left-hander, right-hander, to come in and face Votto, and he's still, you know, he'll hit 300 this year. But my gosh, they, they keep saying they had such a great starting eight. I don't see it. I, the, the, the outfield, again, would you pick any one of our four outfielders to play outfield for you? No. No, and we've got a problem in our outfield, too, so no. That's my point. I mean, we've got a guy hitting 190, a guy hitting 203, and a guy hitting 235, and a guy hitting 244. That's our outfield. And I'll tell you, Mark, and I, this this leads me into into one of the topics that I wanted to bring up tonight. Billy Hamilton lost me yesterday. It took one at bat for him to lose me. I, I have listened to you complain about Billy Hamilton now for the last couple of years, and, and I've agreed with you up to a certain point. But yesterday, and I know the at-bat, if you watch the game, you know the at-bat that I'm going to be talking about. When he swung at the first pitch? You got it. The, he yeah. had just, he had, the that pitcher had just walked the Reds pitcher who was batting eight that day, yesterday, on four straight pitches, and Billy Hamilton goes up and swings at the first doggone pitch? And what's he do? Pops out. What's he, what do you do the at-bat after that? I didn't see the at-bat after that. But he popped out again. The at-bat before the, the, the other at-bat, he popped out. He popped out three times. I've been saying this to you for four or five years now. This guy does not have the physical strength to, 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 to swing the way he does. He ought to be choking up like Vado does and going the other way, pounding the ball into the ground, but he's either too stupid. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm being honest. Intellectually, if you can't see what has been happening to you for the last four years? You're not a very bright guy. No, and that I, I don't know why the, the, the management doesn't say either you do it our way or we're going to sit your ass on the bench. Oh, I'd pull. I don't get it. You're right, 
And I'd have pulled him out of that game last night, Mark, or yesterday afternoon when he did that. I'd have pulled him out of that game so fast it would have made his head spin and told him to go down to the Holy Grail, have a beer, and watch the rest of the game, and maybe you could learn something. Because that was just an, that is a, that is a faux pas of faux pas for every Major League Baseball player out there. You don't swing at the first pitch when the pitcher has just been walked on four straight throws. That was just, even, you don't even do it when somebody has been, has been walked on four straight anyway. You don't swing at the first pitch. You make the guy throw it across the plate. I can, I can see if you're Joey Votto or you're even Adam Duvall. And you're down a couple of runs, you guys on base, and they, they just walked a couple of guys. They're going to try and groove it and get it over the plate. But if you're Billy Hamilton, you're not going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. You're, you're going to you're going to ground out probably or pop up. And and you're right. That's why his on base percentage is under 300. And, and again, you can say okay, he's he doesn't have a, a high baseball IQ to do something that stupid. But the, the coaches can t- control that. Unfortunately, if you bench him, you're going to bring in another 244 hitter with no home runs and nine RBIs. That's Jesse Winker. So it, it doesn't make any sense to, to, to bench him at this point because you've got nobody else to put in. And this, this joke that the eight players the Reds have are so good they can compete against anybody is just that. It's a joke. You know, it it leads me into what I wanted to ask you about. I don't think Major League Baseball players are very smart. I don't think, and I'm not using that intellectually. I'm talking about how to play the game. I'm going to go back, going to go back, uh, and, you know, and, and talk talk about how people have said, you know, you got to know how to play the game. And I don't think there is but a handful of players out there, Mark, that know how to play the game of baseball. How many times have you seen that switch, that the the infield shift over between first and second base, and there's three infielders and you got the the third baseman playing over near the second base bag? My God, Mark, drop a bunt down that third base line and get on base. That's what Alonso should have been doing last night for the Indians when they were down by two runs with two outs in the ninth inning. Drop a bunt down so that you bring up a guy in Melky Cabrera that could possibly tie up the game in one swing. But no, he wanted to go for the downs. And that, that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You can't hold anybody on. Nobody runs anymore. Terry Francona said on an interview earlier this week, he said managers don't hit and run anymore because the game has switched to a home run versus strikeout ratio. Nobody's putting the ball in play. You can't run somebody. You can't do the, the hit and run. You can't do the steal and hit or the, any of that. You can't do it because these guys are, have got it so ingrained in their head that they either hit a home run or they strike out, and that's the only thing that's, that's allowed anymore. I, I heard a statistic the other day, and I'm, I'm going to double-check it. I'm not sure. It, it seems impossible to me that over a three-year period in the mid-'50s, Ted Kozuski hit, he had, uh, over 40 home runs three consecutive years. I think he had 128 or 135 home runs or whatever. He struck out 47 times in those three years. <laughs> and that's, that's a month for Adam Duvall. And again, it is, 
okay, he goes up there, he strikes out so many times, leaves so many runners on base, and yet the Reds start him in left field. Mm-hmm. Now, whose fault is that? It's, well, it's, it, it's the Indian, it, or it's the, it's the Reds hierarchy, yeah. Of course. And, and these guys, again, you bring up a great point about being, having low baseball IQ. You go up there and you're hitting 190 and you're striking out two game, two times a game. Don't you think you might want to try a different approach? Yeah. Here, here's the stats you're talking about on Ted Kluzewski. In 1953, he hit 40 home runs, 108 RBIs that year, and struck out only 35 times. In 1954, 49 home runs, 141 RBIs, struck out 34 times. And in 1955, 47 homers, 113 RBIs, and he struck out 40 times. And I'm going to throw in the 1956 season here just for good measure. He hit 35 home runs that year, 102 RBIs, and struck out 31 times. Yeah, I think I must have got my numbers wrong. I guess he averaged like 30, 35 strikeouts a year. <laughs> but hitting over 40 home runs almost every year, uh, you don't see that anymore. No. And if you go back even further to Ted Williams, uh, one year he struck out 13 times. Joe DiMaggio struck out 18 times in a year, in a year. And th- those are the kinds of players you don't see anymore because the the, the management – when they draft players, they're not drafting baseball players. They're drafting specialists. And if a guy can hit a ball 500 feet, they draft him for that purpose. He can't play defense. He can't throw. He can't run. But he can hit a baseball 500 feet by Canseco. You know? Yeah. That's about all he could do. Although Canseco could run a little bit. Uh, but he didn't last because of the, of the steroids. But, you know, you don't, you don't see – the team that I think has the best – Athletes and baseball players is Houston. I mean, yeah. they got some guys who can run, they can throw, they can bunt. Uh, they, they they got good arms. It, it's I, I think they're the best athletes in baseball. I would agree. Here's another interesting stat for Ted Klazuski, and I didn't realize this. I'm sitting here looking at Klazuski's uh, stats, Mark, and and they are amazing. Fifteen years he played in Major League Baseball. The most times he struck out in one season. This is one season. Forty. That's amazing. <laughs> that was that 55 season when he hit 47 homers, 113 RBIs, and drove in four, or struck out 40 times. Yeah. That's like striking out uh, seven times a month. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a double header for some guys. His one hundred, his one hundred sixty-two game average. Even though he didn't play one hundred and sixty-two games, but ESPN has got the stats measured out to one hundred and sixty-two game average. He averaged over his career thirty-four strikeouts a season. I, isn't that amazing? That, that's that's a number I must have heard. Uh, thirty-four a, a season for four years. That is just an amazing – and I got an anecdote about Ted, and I, I knew Ted not well, but my wife played tennis with his wife, and we lived down in, in Mason near them. And when I went to Dream Week, uh, I got to know Ted, and I went out to dinner with he and Roy McMillan and some of the other old old Reds. And there's great guys. Jerry Lynch was there and uh, Jim O'Toole, those guys. I remember we went and get pizza. And I remember we were the only team – we played uh, the Reds in the finals – 
Cincinnati Reds, and, and they had never been beaten, and they'd never been beaten since. And we beat them. <laughs> and we beat them 3-2. to And we and the last batter was Ted Klazuski. And there was a runner on second base, and I remember I, I threw him three or four fastballs on the inside corner. Uh, and then I threw him a change-up change on the outside, and he lunged at it and hit a, a roller back to me. And I remember all the way down to first base, he was cussing at me. <laughs> he was the nicest guy. He was, you know, you talk about a gentle giant, and, and that he really was. He was just a nice guy. Everybody liked him. He was very quiet. But, boy, did he know hitting. And he, he helped me, I remember, in the batting cages. Uh, just working with him one day, I, used to, I, I wondered, my gosh, if you had this kind of training all through the minor leagues, how good you could be, because he knew everything about, you know, how to make contact, how to follow through, where to put your hands, and how to stride, and, and all that stuff. But the numbers speak for themselves with Ted. I mean, he was just a great hitter. Mark Mark Sheldon, the Cincinnati Reds beat reporter, says that John Farrell is the odds-on favorite to be the new the choice for new manager, but they probably won't do it until the end of the year. That is unless Jim Riggleman continues getting this team to improve and improve and improve towards the end of the year. Do, do you think there's any chance of that happening? Yeah, I think Riggleman can can you know make this work for himself. Uh, I, I don't see it. I think it's likely. Um, I think they're going to go with a guy like John Farrell because he's won. Uh, he's won a World Series, and that's what this team needs. But, uh, you know, David, it's it's more than a new manager will buy you another year or two with the pants because they're going to have to spend some money to get John Farrell. But they're, they're going to have to get some players in. And unless they decide that they're going to make an investment, a capital investment in this team, I don't care who you bring in, uh, you're not going to win. And Farrell will not be a kind of guy – to come into Cincinnati, unless he has assurance, they're going to go get some players. I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the way he'll go. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's an interesting. I want to talk to you a little bit here about um, De Uh He threw a couple of rehab stints, came out of it, said his arm felt fine. They want to put him through two more. What, where are we expecting here, about two weeks before he's back up? Uh, at the most, I mean, I think if I read correctly, he pitched five perfect innings the other day. And uh, they said his fastball was 95, 96. And, I mean, <laughs> I think the bigger issue is, Discafani will be back in the, in, the, in the rotation soon. What do you do with Homer? Oh, you got to trade him. Uh, and I know, I know. For what are you going to get for him? But you've got to trade him. Or, you know, your suggestion last year, which is not a bad one, Put him in the bullpen. Put him in the bullpen. Yeah, let him go out there and blow that fastball by people in the ninth inning. Let him do it. Huh? Hey, it, it, you know, I, I'm going to tell you this right now. This, this this is completely fantasy world because the Indians will never take over his contract. It'll never happen. But who would you want off the Indians for him? Uh, do you have any new baseballs? <laughs> Just get rid of the get rid of the salary. Hey, I want to ask you about Danny Salazar because this really bothers me. And you being a pitcher, and I know you've had a sore arm in the past. 
you, you've had to, and we, we've, oh, never, yeah. we've never discussed it, but I know you've had to. But he has been shut down for another week after being examined by Dr. Keith Meister. He's the team physician for the Texas Rangers. He confirms that Salazar is dealing with right shoulder impingement tendinitis, and he received a PRP injection, which is basically platelet-rich plasma, to help the healing process. Now, my question to you is, have you ever known any pitcher throughout your years or heard of a pitcher that just cannot throw with pain in their arm? Well, I don't know a pitcher who doesn't have pain in the arm at some point. Bingo. Uh, you know, you, you do. Now, pain and injury are two different things. Uh, I, I heard that, you know, the I guess the classic case was Sandy Koufax. Uh, they said he could not comb his hair after a game. His arm hurt so bad, but he was such a competitor, he went out there and pitched through the pain and was the most unhittable human being I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I remember going down to Crosley Field watching him pitch. But everybody has a different tolerance of that. You know, some guys, you know, will go out there and say, oh, it hurts, and uh, I, I don't want to risk my – I'm a free agent next year. I don't want to risk anything, and they don't pitch through the pain. Other guys, you can't get them out of, of the of the rotation. They'll go out there and throw. And it, it, the other thing, Dave, is it, it depends on your stuff. Some guys, like Greg Maddox, I'm sure he must have had a sore arm at one time, but he threw in such a way that he never put a great strain on his arm. I think he, at one point he did have Tommy John, but he came back even better. But some of these guys who are, they come up when they're 17 years old, like Hunter Green, throwing 104 miles an hour when he's 17 years old. What's that do to his arm? Oh, the torque. Yeah, the, the, the torque on your, you're not supposed to do that. No. And he did, and he didn't pitch that many innings last year in high school. But, you know, if you if that is your stock and trade, throwing a fastball by hitters in high school, that'll work in high school. It might even work in college. It ain't going to work in the pros. Hunter Green, I think he's 0-4 now with a 10.5 ERA. But what does that tell you? See, yeah, and, and my point about Salazar is, this has been going on since July, two years ago. And impingement tendonitis. I mean, an impingement is basically a pinch. There's there's something being pinched in there. Now, if you've had a sore arm marked for two years, and it's not being operated on, i got to believe, and I'm, I'm just going to come right out and say it, it's in your head. Well, that's what Devin Mazzarocco had. He, he had it on his on his hip, though had an impingement on his head. And he had surgery. He had two surgeries. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, those things can be taken care of. Well, what amazes me is you'll have a pitcher, you know, he's got a sore arm in September. And, you know, well, well, well my gosh. Uh, and, and so they wait until spring training <laughs> to, to announce the fact he's going to have surgery. Uh, why don't you take care of it during the off season? I never, I never understood that. Dude. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've never understood it either. But my, my just, my feeling is about Danny Salazar is that he is just, he's not going to pitch when his arm isn't a hundred percent. And if he's waiting for his arm to be a hundred percent, he's going to be waiting an awfully long time. 
awfully. He's already had Tommy John surgery once. It was when he was he's he's like one of those young kids, Mark. He he had Tommy John surgery, came back, was throwing a hundred miles an hour. Uh, you know, my my feeling is he probably should be put in the bullpen. But I'm to the point anymore where I'm I'm done expecting that he's ever going to come back. I'm done expecting that Lonnie Chisenhall is ever going to come back. Some of these guys they just refuse to play with pain. You know what you don't see in baseball? I don't. Th- I can't think of one right now. It's a knuckleball pitcher, and those guys can go out there and pitch for 20 years, 25 years, and because they're not putting a lot of stress on their arm. But you don't see those guys, and I just wonder how a guy who who would be throwing in these 80s now, uh, you know, Tom Browning. I don't think Tom Browning ever threw much of more than 90. He was a great left-hand pitcher, great great screwball. Uh, great control, and, but there were guys like that. You know, we can all think about guys like that. Bartolo Colon. But well, Bartolo Colon, he's still doing it, throwing eighty-five, eighty-eight yeah. miles an hour fastballs. Yeah. Did you? So, s- go ahead. Uh, did you see him get hit with the line drive? No. He got hit in the in the belly, right above his belly button, right above the belt buckle, the other night. Line drive right back at him. And the stomach absorbed the whole thing, and the ball just dropped down to his feet. He just picked it up and <laughs> threw the guy at it first. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like a uh, he's like a goalie up there. He's yeah. so big. <laughs> Two hundred and forty-two wins this guy has. My gosh. Two hundred and forty. I want to bring this up. We got we got about five minutes, five six minutes here before we end the show. I wanted to bring this up to you, Mark, because we, we touched upon it last week. But I think it's something that needs to be discussed, and that is that Supreme Court ruling that cleared the way last week for all the states to legalize sports betting, striking down that 1992 federal law. Now, the reason I'm bringing it up again is because there is some scuttlebutt going on that Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, uh, Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, Gary Bettman, commissioner of the NHL, and Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, all want to go together and file a class action, class action lawsuit not to stop the betting, Mark, but to take a cut of the action. That it's their game and that they, if somebody is going to bet on their game, they should be given the opportunity to take a cut of the action. Your thoughts? Well, you could make, I could see their argument from a practical perspective. Uh, number one, you're never going to stop gambling. People are going to gamble on it. But I, I don't know how you, how you get your cut, uh, unless you work with the bookies. Because you're going to have to trust them to give you every bet that is made on their team, unless they are thinking of having the bets go through each league, which I cannot believe they would do something like that. So I don't know how you're going to you're going to manage it and control it. In other words, if you go to a, a, a betting place in Cleveland, uh, you're going to have to re- the, the the team is going to have to rely on that betting place to get them the right information about your bet and take a cut. Uh, I, I don't know how you do that. I I don't know how you do it either. And there's another, you know, they're talking about actually putting off-track betting places in the stadiums. You know, now, first of all, they've had them for years for horses. Okay, that's where they came up with the name, off-track betting, where you weren't actually at Pimlico or 
or the, uh, Churchill Downs or whatever, but they, they had the races going on, and you could go. And I'm sure there's places down here in Cincinnati where you can go to, to go down and bet on the horses and everything. And then, of course, you've got uh, uh, the place down in, in Florence that they, they've got the horses running and everything else down there. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of places that you can do that, okay? But have you ever heard of a horse owner getting a cut of the take? No. Ne- neither have I. But yet these four gentlemen think that their leagues are entitled. And, and you know, it, it, I'm waiting, Mark, for one of them to come out, and especially the one that I'm waiting to come out and say this, is it's going to hurt the integrity of our league. And the one I'm waiting to say that is Adam Silver of the NBA. <laughs> because of Tim Donaghy getting, getting arrested and convicted and spending two years on – fixing basketball games as a referee. I'm waiting for one of the four to come out and say that they have got, you know, the integrity of their game is going to really suffer because of this going on. Well, it's, I guess we have to face the fact that, uh, you know, Pete Rose was just ahead of his time because <laughs> eventually uh, there is going to be betting in baseball. And, and, you know, I can see a whole lot of money being spent and wagered on, on baseball like never before, and that it's going to create a huge income stream if there, there's a way that they can track what's going on. But uh, right now, I don't see how they can do it. Now, here's what my father said yesterday, and I thought, this is, this is a crazy idea at first, until you sit down and you actually think it through. He said the teams could actually put their own bookies involved in the stadium, and that's how they'd make their money. Yeah, you could. Um Boy, right now it'd be hard to get odds on the Reds winning a game, but uh, boy, you're you're opening up a real Pandora's box there when you when you get in bed with those guys, with bookies and with off track off 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 field betting is called that. Oh yeah, uh, it, it changes the game entirely, and maybe it creates more interest. I don't know, but it certainly is against the traditions and the history of the game. Well, and how would how would you regulate it, Mark? I mean, let's, you know, and, and I'm making a joke out of it, but how could you re- Let's say, for example, you're at a football game, and you're at a Bengals game, and it's third down 12, and what are the odds on the Bengals throwing a pass or running a, running up, you know, on this play? And then how do you, how in the world do you keep the coach from looking at the odds up on the scoreboard if the team is regular, you know, if the team is putting the bookie in place, they're going to have to show the odds at some point in time. People are going to hear about them before the play. I mean, it, it could be a, it could be a conventional nightmare. Well, it could, and uh, it, it eventually, just like you're going to have to umpires, they're going to go away. The game will change over the next forty, fifty years. It, it won't be it, it'll be the same basic game, but the things that we grew up thinking about uh, are going to be gone. And umpires, I think, are going to be one of them. I think in, at some point in time, you're going to have all indoor stadiums. You won't have any outdoor stadiums. That'll be a mandate of, of the professional leagues that you have to have. You know, the weather is so uncontrollable, particularly in baseball, uh, in the summer, that you have to have outdoor, uh, indoor stadiums. So there's a lot of things that will come up over the next, as I said, 40, 50 years that we can't even imagine yet. And, and gambling, I'm sure, is going to be one of those. By the way, do you know Kevin Cash? No. Kevin Cash is the manager of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, or the Rays now. 
All right. And I just I had to ask that question because Mark he took your idea and ran with it. Starting his uh his, his closer, closer, Sergio Romo, he started him two games in a row Saturday and Sunday because his starting pitchers could not shut down the opposing team in the first inning. So he decided, what the heck? I'm going to start my closer and it worked. He struck out the side. Yeah. David, <laughs> David, I think it's time you say this. Mark, you are a visionary. <sighs> Mark, you're a visionary of something. I'm not, I'm not sure what yet, but I, <laughs> I, I am bowing to your ultimate, somewhat self-deprecating knowledge. <laughs> what are the Reds got going on this week, Mark? Well, they have a chance to to lose a lot of games in a row, Dave. Uh, <laughs> They have three with Pittsburgh coming up starting uh, tonight, as a matter of fact. Uh, I think it's tonight. No, they play uh, no, it. No, they're, they're off tonight. tonight. Yeah. Off tonight. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with Pittsburgh. And then they go on the road for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games uh, with Colorado, Arizona, and San Diego. And they can Ooh. lose a whole bunch of those games. How about Cleveland? Uh, the Indians have got the Cubs in Wrigley Field tomorrow and Wednesday afternoon. Do you realize that Wrigley Field is just a mile up the street from my older son Greg's house? Well, you got to go, you know, gotta, visit that kid. Got to get there sometime. And then they come home and they play Houston again this week. So it is a big week for the Reds. If they can come out of this just above 500, they play four with Houston at home, two on the road with the Cubs. If they can come back three and three, four and two next week, I'll be happy. Oh, Dave, we want you happy. <laughs> Mark, have a happy uh, Memorial Day. We'll talk to you again next Monday night. All right, take care. All right, that's going to do it for us here this evening. Thanks for joining us here tonight. Glad you could come around and join us on the Ultimate Sports Talks Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along here this evening. And as we sit back, don't forget that we will be back next Monday night at 9 o'clock. And at that point in time, we'll be talking more about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Hope you have a nice Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy it. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night, have a good week, everybody.